It's the morning of June 11th, 1981. 16 polished aluminum red, white, and blue jets shimmer in the Texas sun as they fly in a line above Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. The squadron descends one by one. American 5747, maintain 170 knots. Maintaining 170 knots, American 5747. American 5986, runway 18 left, clear to land. Clear to land, American 5986-18 left. Good morning. This is an unprecedented invasion. No airline has ever sent this many planes from this many different locations to one airport in such quick succession. Attention in the concourse, all passengers traveling on American Flight 12 to New York LaGuardia, your flight is ready for boarding at gate two. Passengers will get off the planes and be back in the air in just a couple of hours, headed for new destinations. The future of American Airlines has just arrived in Dallas. It's a future some at American didn't believe could happen. Just four months ago, when company president Bob Crandall's executive team told American's ground crews they would bring the fleet in and send it back up multiple times a day, a revolt nearly broke out. It's a big shift. Airlines normally scoop up passengers from small markets and, much like a commuter train, make multiple stops for passengers to get on and off as the plane makes its way across the country. Crandall is keen on the hub-and-spoke model. He and his team believe it's more cost-effective to bring passengers from smaller markets to a hub where passengers can be consolidated into fuller flights headed for other markets. Delta does that in Atlanta. American wants that in Dallas, but with a much tighter turnaround window. American is looking over its shoulder at Delta, but its real target is Braniff, the other airline based at Dallas-Fort Worth, or DFW. Under deregulation, Braniff expanded its routes exponentially. But Crandall knows they're critically strapped for cash and vulnerable to direct competition. So... When Crandall gathers his lieutenants, he makes his scorched-earth mission crystal clear. I want to crush Braniff. I want to crush all the competition. That's what competition is all about. But Crandall has overlooked one thing. Flying to those small Texas cities has put American directly in the flight path of another carrier, the highly profitable Southwest Airlines. The insurgent airline has always competed in unconventional ways, but at this point, Southwest hasn't figured out how to grapple with America. It doesn't know yet that it's about to weaponize Herb. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? 
Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S., and Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. You're listening to the fifth installment in our Southwest versus American Airlines series, The Cult of Herb. A quick warning that this episode contains some adult language. Now, in our last episode, American Airlines decamped from its former headquarters in New York for Dallas to keep from going broke. And it's used powerful political allies to clip Southwest's wings. Southwest is confined to flying from its home base of Love Field just outside Dallas to destinations within Texas and surrounding states. American, meanwhile, is free to fly anywhere. And it benefits from the industry reservation system it designed that, no surprise, favors American Airlines. These are mighty headwinds for Southwest. It's June 1981 just a few weeks after American has debuted its DFW hub. In a ballroom of a high-end hotel, Southwest is celebrating the purchase of three brand-new state-of-the-art Boeing 737-300 jets. To mark the moment, Herb Kelleher, Southwest's chairman, steps up to a podium. Hello, everybody. This is a big deal for Southwest Airlines. These new planes will save on fuel costs, making our already highly efficient airline even more efficient. The 300 series is also 73% quieter. I say quieter than the 737-200 series that Southwest has flown since its inception. The audience is chuckling because Kelleher is alluding to grumbling by residents around Love Field, who are unhappy with Southwest's increasingly busy, noisy operation there. Takeoffs and landings at Love have more than tripled just since 1974. Across town at DFW, American Airlines gets complaints too, but in a television interview, Crandall deflects the criticism. Many of the takeoffs that produce the most noise come from runway 13L at DFW. A plane taking off there has to make a hard left turn, a noisy left turn, to avoid getting into the airspace of flights from Love Field. If we didn't have this one airline operating flights at Love when everyone else is operating at DFW, well, that turn wouldn't be necessary, and the noise could be abated. But on August 3rd, 1981, the noisy skies over Dallas fall quiet. Not because of resident protests or new jet engines, no, because more than 12,000 air traffic controllers have just gone on strike. Across the country, 7,000 flights are canceled. In Washington, President Reagan issues an ultimatum. It is for this reason that I must tell those who fail to report for duty this morning they are in violation of the law 
and if they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. Two days later, Reagan makes good on his threat. Commercial air traffic slows to a crawl. But within days, thousands of air traffic supervisors and unionized controllers who did not strike get planes into the air again. Traffic returns to something just short of normal. The difference? The FAA is now issuing what it calls slots. The slot system rations takeoffs and landings, and that limits air traffic. But those slots are being doled out in a way that Kelleher considers arbitrary. The system limits Southwest and benefits American. He looks for a way to work the system and lands on a pretty crazy idea, which at Southwest means it's totally worth considering. He shares it with Southwest CEO Howard Putnam. Listen, Howard, back in 1977, before you got here, we incorporated a company called Midway Southwest Airlines that was supposed to operate out of Midway Airport in Chicago. In the end, we bailed on the idea. But here's the thing. It's still a registered airline with the FAA. Now, what if we could resurrect Midway Southwest to get more slots for ourselves? Hmm? Putnam is a 44-year-old straight-talking Iowan who grew up on a farm. He used to fly his father's J-3 Piper Cub over the family fields. He thrives on competition. And he loves the audacity of this idea. Let's not waste time. File the paperwork today. But the FAA tells Kelleher if he's going to use Midway Southwest to get extra slots, the Chicago concern has to actually have flights there. Midway Southwest is operational, but just barely. It consists of a man flying a single Learjet. Kelleher makes him an offer. I'd like to sell you our subsidiary company called Midway Southwest for a nominal fee. Now, in return, you'll agree to lease us whatever slots the FAA gives you at Midway Airport. The loan operator nabs Kelleher's offer, and the FAA issues slots to Midway Southwest, which Kelleher snaps up. But within weeks, the ploy is discovered. Kelleher is summoned to Washington. He's busted. Lynn Helms, the administrator of the FAA, closes the door of his office behind Kelleher. Listen, Herb, my general counsel's office is really peeved about this Midway thing. I'm supposed to be telling you off right now. But honestly... I think this is hilarious. I mean, you've just taken advantage of the rules. It's brilliant. But, Herb, don't get me in trouble. When you walk out of here, I want you to look like I've just cleaned your clock, all right? As Kelleher leaves the office, he scowls and his jaw muscles tense. Once out of the building, he bursts out laughing. His ploy has been foiled, but he's had a good time trying to pull it off. Days later, back in Dallas, Kelleher is in a funk. Putnam, Southwest's CEO who was hired just three years ago, has quit. He has a new job. And not just any sky-high executive job. Putnam will be the new CEO of Braniff Airlines, a company once convicted along with its rivals of trying to illegally force Southwest out of business. Putnam's betrayal 
hits Kelleher harder than he'd like to admit. It's the morning of February 1st, 1982, before dawn. Crandall's running on his home treadmill. He's cranked up Hall and Oates on his Walkman. Crandall may be a -a three-pack-a-day smoker, but he rarely misses his morning run. Crandall wraps up his workout and heads to his kitchen for breakfast. He opens the paper and is stopped short by a Braniff ad. It's an attack on American, one of many Braniff has launched in recent weeks. The two Dallas carriers are locked in a brutal fare war. With deregulation, Braniff has entered dozens of new markets, overextending itself in the process. Deregulation also has allowed American to enter many of Braniff's markets, using low fares to undercut Braniff everywhere the two airlines compete. Today, though, Braniff's ad isn't touting lower fares. It's claiming to have a better on-time record than American. Crandall throws the paper to the floor. Bullshit. This is bullshit. They can't touch us on on-time performance. I'm going to give that son of a bitch a piece of my mind. Crandall puts on a gray suit, slicks back his hair with pomade, and races from his home to his office at DFW. He gets Howard Putnam on the phone. Howard, I think is dumb as hell, for Christ's sake, all right? To sit here and pound the shit out of each other, and neither one of us making a fucking dime. I mean, you know, goddammit, what the hell is the point of it? Look, Bob, nobody asked American to serve Harlingen. Nobody asked American to serve Kansas City. And we were killing each other with low fares there, too, you know? But, Howard, the DFW hub complex is here. Ain't gonna change that, right? <sighs> Look... There's no reason I can see to put both American and Braniff out of business, but we can both live here if we can squeeze out Delta. There's a pause on the line. Putnam wonders if Crandall is suggesting that they collude to drive other competitors out of business. Finally, Putnam puts it to Crandall. Robert, do you have a suggestion for me? Yeah. Get Braniff to raise his goddamn fares 20%. I'll raise mine the next morning. Robert, we... You'll make more money, and I will, too. Robert, we can't talk about pricing. You know that. Oh, bullshit, Howard. We can talk about any goddamn thing we want to. Putnam quickly ends the call and stops the recording he secretly made of the conversation. Crandall has just suggested collusion. With this tape... Putnam is locked and loaded, but he hesitates to pull the trigger, and that will prove fatal. Braniff is $700 million in debt and has laid off one quarter of its workforce. But instead of teaming up with American, Putnam decides to attack his competitor even harder. He has sorely overestimated his hand. Two weeks later, Putnam is on a flight from New York to Dallas, sitting in first class, talking to Braniff's lead ad man. I'm getting damn sick of American making it seem like they've got the lowest fares. When do our commercials go on the air? Tomorrow, in all the markets. Here, listen to this radio spot. He pulls out a Walkman and hits play. Normally, American only gives you low, unrestricted fares when they face low fare competition. 
And that's usually competition from Braniff. The ads help, but Braniff is still bleeding money. So, it enlists a cadre of well-known Dallas executives and celebrities. In one TV spot, Tom Landry, coach of the Dallas Cowboys, looks into the camera. So join the fight. Why Braniff? The Cowboys do. On May 12th, Crandall learns that Putnam has turned over a recording of their February call to federal antitrust officials. Crandall boards a flight to Los Angeles to meet with his attorneys. This could be bad, really bad for American. But powerful thunderstorms delay takeoff. While the plane remains grounded, the pilot walks back to Crandall's first-class seat. Mr. Crandall, I just got a call from headquarters. Braniff has pushed back all its planes from the gate. They're telling employees to go home. It looks like they're shutting down. What? Well, I'll be damned. Open this door. I'm getting off. Eighteen months into deregulation, Braniff becomes the first major airline in America to declare bankruptcy. After Braniff's nosedive, American Airlines hikes fares on every route where it once competed with Braniff. Crandall has shot one competitor out of the sky. But if he's now going to take aim at Southwest Airlines and other low-fare competitors, he'll need an even more powerful weapon. And yes, he's already got something in the works. Long before Southwest and American Airlines were battling it out in the business world, Wilbur and Orville Wright, two brothers from Ohio, dreamt of being the first aviators to successfully fly an airplane. On December 17, 1903, they made that dream a reality with a 59-second flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina that would change the course of history forever. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's February 1985. Back in Dallas, Herb Kelleher is recovering from pneumonia and trying to muster strength to take care of some unfinished business. Since 1981, Southwest has competed directly on a handful of routes in Texas and beyond with a startup carrier called Muse Air, 
as in Lamar Muse, the CEO of Southwest who resigned after a dust-up with company founder Rollin King. Muse's son, Mike, started Muse Air, but Lamar Muse joined the carrier as full-time CEO in late 1984. The company was headed into a financial tailspin after years of mismanagement and a price war on half a dozen routes with Muse's alma mater, Southwest. He tried, but ultimately couldn't navigate the company to calmer skies. Kelleher gets word that Muse Air, which is known around Southwest as Revenge Air, has hung up a for sale sign, and Kelleher wants to buy it. He invites Lamar Muse over to his house for breakfast to see if he can strike a deal. For God's sakes, Herb, you're a terrible cook. You're a hell of a lot better at making cocktails. You got that right, Lamar. But let me ask you this. Would you rather be spending your time retired on your boat fishing for salmon off the Vancouver coast in 70-degree weather or being stuck here in hottest blazes Dallas running Muse Air? Honestly, I'd prefer the boat. Then, Lamar... Let's talk numbers. They strike a deal. Southwest will acquire its smaller rival, including its fleet of -of state-of-the-art MD-80 jets, its valuable gates at Houston's Hobby Airport, and its complete staff for $76 million. For Kelleher, a lawyer with no business training, it's a defining moment as CEO. He's made peace with an aggrieved former employee and... He's executed a key transaction in the company's brief history, its first acquisition. But Kelleher is starting to make an even deeper impression on Southwest, a personal one. Apart from his legal skills and his newfound business acumen, Kelleher is, well, just plain likable. So he's pressed into service to connect with the public. Kelleher appears in TV ads for Southwest. As the airline expands across the country, folks warm up to Herb and his homespun, irresistible charm. In one ad, he's facing the camera while behind him passengers are filling up the plane fast. When he hears the flight attendants close the doors, he turns around and starts knocking on them, calling out, Hey, Kelleher here! The doors don't open. Now, Kelleher delights in the limelight and being playful. In fact, a lot of the employees enjoy their moment in the spotlight with a hostage audience on board. Welcome aboard Southwest Airlines. To properly fasten your seatbelt, slide the flat end into the buckle, and to release, lift up on the buckle. Position your seatbelt tight and low on your hips, just like my grandmother wears her support bra. If you are seated in an exit row, you must be able to handle the functions noted on the card in your seat back pocket in order to assist the crew in the event of an emergency. If you cannot perform these functions, please advise a crew member and they will reseat you. And if you simply do not give a function, please let the crew member know and they will reseat you too. On board is Kelleher at the back of the plane where he prefers to sit. He turns to his seatmate. Do you know our flight attendants have been doing those kinds of shenanigans since 1971? It just happened one day on Southwest's first flight. Just after takeoff, Kelleher asks a flight attendant if he can pass out peanuts to the passengers. As he goes through the cabin, some passengers are starstruck. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an intern on board today who is going to help us with the in-flight service. Just call him Herb, because he won't answer to anything else. Kelleher walks down the aisle, stopping to chat with a Lubbock businessman. 
Now, sir, would you care for peanuts? Herb, I'd love some peanuts, but I gotta tell you, you are the ugliest flight attendant I have ever laid my eyes on. A few days later, when he's back in his Dallas office, Kelleher recounts his in-flight fun to the company's corporate secretary, Colleen Barrett. She laughs and suddenly stops short. You know, Herb, I've been thinking, we've got something really special here with this culture of ours. We have to protect it. Now, neither of them realize it at the moment, but Southwest is about to do more than protect its freewheeling culture. It's about to weaponize all those comedic flight announcements and other uniquely Southwest personality quirks in ways its rivals will struggle and fail to match. In the next episode of Southwest vs. American Airlines, Bob Crandall builds the largest fleet in history and rolls out the biggest gun the airline industry has ever seen, a tech weapon that he uses to blast away low-fare competitors. And Southwest? Well, Southwest responds by unleashing the power of its people. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Another way you can support us is to answer a short survey at wondery.com survey. And don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. And a quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Joseph Guinto wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Jenny Lauer is our producer. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wonder. Hey, I'm Mike Corey, the host of Wandery's show, Against the Odds. In our next season, I'm telling an amazing true story about American sailors who wrecked their ship off the coast of Africa in 1815. They're captured by a nomadic tribe. To escape, they will need to cross the largest hot desert in the world to reach civilization. They will battle against blistering heat, inhumane conditions, hunger, and thirst. Their heroic fight to get home will have a much greater impact than just on their own lives. It will influence a future president and change the course of American history in ways that are still felt today. This is the true story of the men who made it, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Subscribe to Against the Odds on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, The Wondery App, or wherever you're listening right now.